Welcome to a Nutrition and Clinical Practice podcast. I'm Dr. Jeanette Hassey, the Editor-in-Chief of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. The February 2017 issue of NCP focuses on diagnosing malnutrition. So I'd like to welcome to our podcast today, Dr. Laura Matarese and Dr. Pamela Charney, the authors of Capturing the Elusive Diagnosis of Malnutrition, which is published in the 2017 February issue of NCP. Dr. Matarese is Professor of Medicine in the Brody School of Medicine at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. And Dr. Charney is Program Chair of Healthcare Informatics at Bellevue College in Bellevue, Washington. So thank you both for joining me today. Before we start our discussion, I'd like to ask Dr. Matarese and Dr. Charney if they have any disclosures on this topic that they would like to share. Dr. Matarese? I do not. Dr. Charney? I have none. Thank you. So I want to just get kind of started talking about diagnosing malnutrition because in your article, you kind of address how difficult it can be to diagnose malnutrition and often to identify malnutrition, we as nutrition support practitioners use different tools. So it might be the mini nutrition assessment or the subjective global assessment, also known as the SGA or the Nutrix score, among others. So I think it's first important to recognize that there is a difference between nutrition screening and nutrition assessment. So Dr. Charney, could you explain this for our audience? Sure. I think one of the easiest ways to look at the difference between screening and assessment is to apply it in a medical model. So if you are looking at someone's blood lipids, you want to know if they have a problem with blood lipids, you would start with a finger stick cholesterol level, and that is a screening test. So if there's a problem with that level, then you would go on to more in-depth assessment, perhaps a complete lipid panel or referral to cardiology or something you know, beyond that. So that first initial test is the screen, and then anything that comes after is the assessment. In terms of nutrition, nutrition screening, if you look at how the World Health Organization and others identify or diagnose define screening. It should be quick, it should be inexpensive, and it should identify those in a target population who may have the condition of concern so that they can be sent on for further assessment. So a screen is not supposed to be 100% accurate 100% of the time. You just simply decide how you are going to identify those individuals who need to be assessed. So screening has to be quick, it's got to be efficient, and it has to be done by someone who does not have a high level of clinical expertise or training. Nutrition assessment is something that requires clinical judgment, it requires experience, and it requires a significant amount of training and education. So it is more complex and difficult to do than the nutrition screen. So the difference is the screen is quick and fast, and the assessment, it takes more time, it requires clinical judgment, it requires critical thinking, and it is designed to be more sensitive and specific in identifying and diagnosing the condition, which in this case would be malnutrition. That kind of leads into my next question. So Dr. Matarese, what do you think are the most important features of a nutrition assessment tool? Well, a good assessment tool should be evidence-based, reliable, sensitive, and specific. And most importantly, it should be a validated tool. This is essential. Without solid validation studies, there is no indication that an assessment tool will accurately identify malnutrition. 
So in my opinion, that absolutely is the most important feature of any nutrition assessment tool. I think that most of us as nutrition support professionals know that malnutrition exists in our patients and that that poor nutrition adversely affects their patient outcomes. So why is it that we can't, as a global nutrition community, come up with a universal way to recognize and diagnose malnutrition? Dr. Charney, can I address that question to you? Okay. So for some time now, we have heard this argument that we just cannot come to agreement on how to diagnose malnutrition. I've been in practice for a number of years and have been successfully diagnosing malnutrition for that entire time. So I think it's almost useless to continue this argument that we weren't doing it before and now we have to do it differently. We have always been in agreement on what malnutrition looks like. In 1935, an article was published that basically said the same thing that we're saying now, that malnutrition is the result of intake that is inadequate to meet needs and that there may be some contravening situation such as a concurrent disease or perhaps a psychiatric or some other diagnosis that impacts the progression and severity of malnutrition, but we have always been able to diagnose it. And I think we have always had some level of agreement on how we diagnose malnutrition. I remember a number of years ago, a surgeon said to me, I know malnutrition when I see it. And I think for most of us, in the back of our minds, we know malnutrition when we see it. We just may lack the confidence to definitively diagnose. And that may be the issue, is just not having the confidence to say, yes, this is what's going on. So a lot of societies have tried to summarize or develop consensus documents for for malnutrition. So as a practitioner, how should we view those malnutrition guidelines or those consensus statements and apply them in practice? If a tool has been developed and approved by consensus, it really should be considered investigational and tentative until it has been validated. It is a tool, a work in progress. Certainly, if there are no other validated tools available, then a consensus document would be acceptable to use. But if there is a validated tool available, and there are, I would use a tool that has been shown to accurately identify malnutrition. And this is what I do in my own practice. But until a tool has been validated, it really should be considered investigational because you have no indication that it does, in fact, accurately identify malnutrition. I know the three of us have been in practice for quite a while, and we know that the nutrition assessment criteria that we may have been taught decades ago, serum, albumin, or something other than that, have proven to be poor nutrition markers. So do either one of you have any kind of a crystal ball that could maybe suggest what we might be using for nutrition assessment tools in the future? Well, for now, I still believe that the history in the physical exam, along with good critical thinking skills is the foundation to any good nutrition assessment. It's hard to tell what the future may hold, but it will most likely include some specific genetic and biomarkers that target individual nutrient requirements and status. But at the moment, I still think that the foundation is a good history and physical exam and the critical thinking skills that make it essential. And I I would agree with Dr. Matteris. We see published more and more frequently sophisticated imaging tests or 
you know, blood levels of certain, you know, esoteric minerals or metabolites, but those cost and they don't really add to our skill as experienced clinicians in the, you know, evaluating the history and physical. So I think in terms of healthcare in general, the money is not going to come back. I don't see us, you know, suddenly with an infusion of a huge amount of funds and folks saying, yeah, we'll pay for anything that you want to order. So the key is going to be maintaining the nutrition support clinician's ability as a knowledge worker. So applying the results of the history and physical to the current situation in order to diagnose malnutrition. So it's not just using all of the tools that are out there just because they're there, but it's using judgment and thoughtful evaluation of the circumstance. And I don't see that changing in the near future. And as as Laura said, we certainly will in the future be able to look at your genome and figure out exactly what's going on. The question is, is that any better than the intelligent clinician who's got the experience and the know-how to simply look at the patient and talk to the patient? Well, thank you for your insight there. I'd like to ask if either of you have any other additional comments that you'd like to share with our listeners today. The only thing I would like to add is that as the future progresses, clinicians really need to evaluate everything they read very carefully because in the end, what we're trying to do is what is best for our patients. So thank you, Dr. Matarese and Dr. Charney, for sharing your expertise with our listeners. I want to invite our readers to find out more about diagnosing malnutrition in the February 2017 issue of Nutrition and Clinical Practice. Thank you.